You've seen the best. You've seen the worst. Now here's the rest of both worlds. I'm Gayfesh, and I'm only in an empty shell now. And I'm Ari, and I have no desire to leave the Enterprise. And today we will be discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episode's Heart of Glory and the Arsenal of Freedom. Today we're going to be trying a little bit of a format change. Uh, in the past, we've basically treated each episode as though you've already watched it and you're coming to this as a companion piece. So all I've done is read the Memory Alpha summary of the episode, but today mm-hmm. we're going to try and go through the the whole plot as we're talking so that, you know, if you haven't seen it or you haven't seen it in 30 years, you know, it'll help remind you a little bit. Yeah. So um, I think it's a good change because I was, I listened to the podcast. Do you listen to the podcast? <laughs> I think you do. Um, I mean, I edit it. So yeah, I listened yeah. to it about five times. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's for me. I just came away with the feeling like if I was if I was somebody who had watched it, you know, even if my last rewatch of Next Generation was four or five years ago, I might not remember the plot of the episode. So I we thought it might be better to start the episodes off with that plot instead. Mm-hmm. Okay, so today we're going to start with Heart of Glory, which is the twentieth episode of the first season. It first aired on the twenty first of March, nineteen eighty eight. The teleplay was by Mar- Maurice. Hurley. The story was by Maurice Hurley, Herbert Wright, and DC Fontana. It was directed by Rob Bowman. All right. This one starts with them getting a uh, communication about a disturbance in the neutral zone. Yes. And uh, it's not clear which neutral zone they mean. There are two neutral zones that I'm aware of in Star Trek. There is the Klingon Federation neutral zone and mm-hmm. the Romulan Federation neutral zone. Oh, okay. Because this is actually one of my questions. What's a neutral zone? <laughs> well, the, the neutral zone would be like um, kind of kind of like a, a, a demilitarized zone, like you okay. know you have between uh, uh, North and South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I, I think the the implication is that it's an area where neither side is supposed to enter. Okay, so they get this call from. This neutral zone that we don't know. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, and then they throw out a bunch of alien names of who it could possibly be. <laughs> yeah, they're like, could it be the Romulans? Could it be the Ferengi? Yeah. Right. And they go in thinking it's the Ferengi, right? Because if I remember correctly. And then they discover that it's a couple Klingons instead. Oh, while they board the ship, they have like a whole, they connect uh, Jordy's visor to the view screen via Bluetooth. And Picard geeks out over it. We're going to talk about that. We're going to come back to that. (laughs) (laughs) After they find the uh, the Klingons, uh, there's obviously some tension. We learn that Worf has a tragic backstory. Surprise. I didn't Uh know that. Um, And then we go, really, the rest of the episode is figuring out how to resolve the this issue with the Klingon. Right, because the Klingons, at first, they say, oh, yeah, no, the, the freighter was attacked and we were the only survivors. But it turns out... No, they raided the freighter because they are tired of the peace between the Federation and the Klingons. They think that peace has made Klingons weak. So we're here with another insurrectionist, and we have to decide if they're right or wrong, just like on the other on um, Angel One, right? We're, we're here's some people who are trying to do what they think is right, but it goes against everything else that the that they're doing, mm-hmm. that their people are doing. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting episode. What did you think? Um, yeah, I, I really like it. Before. <laughs> well, I've seen everything before. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the first uh, real character development we get for Worf in the show. Yeah, he at least quadrupled his dialogue from the whole season in this one episode. Like, finally, I felt like, oh, good. Finally, I get a Worf episode. It uh, really establishes like some of the, the most key elements of his character. The fact that he was raised by humans. Mm-hmm. That That is huge. Because... Worf, I kind of describe him as like a Klingon weeaboo. Do you know what a weeaboo is? <laughs> I do. Yeah. So uh, because he was separated from from the Klingons when he was like, I don't know, five. Before the age of inclusion. I don't know what that means, but before the, the age of inclusion. I'm, as a little kid. And so he, he has very few direct memories of being raised by Klingons. So a lot of his ideas about Klingon ideals and you know, uh, uh, honor and everything are are from an outsider's perspective. So this brings up one of my first issues that I had with this episode is so when the like it's the picture on Memory Alpha as well, they're doing their their death whale and uh-huh. um, which I love. <laughs> I have a lot to say about the death whale, but starting with how did Worf know how to do it if no one outside of Klingons has ever seen it before and he wasn't raised. 
Like, well, I'm sure out. he still has memories of growing up on Kittimer. I'm pretty sure that they had done it there. Also, like, Data knew about it, so it was in the, you know... If it's information that the Federation has access to, I guarantee you Warp's already read it, because he's a nerd. (laughs) That's true. He does know a lot about his own culture. Like, a lot about his own culture. Um, Like, he's clearly read up and taught himself all about his culture. But, I mean, I'm sure much like a foster kid, which is how they kind of, like, referenced him, because he said his foster brother. So they were trying to put it in the context for us of, like, being a foster kid in America. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of foster kids struggle with that. Like, they're placed in homes with different ethnic um, identities than their own, and they have to learn to navigate the world on kind of riding the fence between the two, right? Yeah. And so I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was an interesting character development for Worf, because I didn't know a that he was the only klingon um in starfleet i didn't know that he had been raised by humans and i I assume this is where this was established correct interesting also we had a dc fontana story without any weird political drama i guess there's some political drama because it's about the alliance but it's not the same thing as like delegates Uh (laughs) uh-huh going somewhere for for a delegate type thing because the two times we've had a dc fontana story there's been some weird political intrigue in there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that doesn't feel like it belongs. Commander Chorus, the uh, the main Klingon uh, character in this one, uh, he's played by Vaughn Armstrong, who I, I want to say probably holds the record for playing the most like characters in Star Trek. It's either him or Jeffrey Combs. Mm. Like uh, he's he's been in basically every series from like TNG through to Enterprise. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they do. I guess they probably do have a lot of reoccurring characters because a lot of time are actors, I should say. When I go yeah. to look up an actor, you'll see that they have two or three different times throughout Star Star Treks, you know? <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm looking him up on Memory Alpha. He has like 12 characters listed. Oh, that's so many. <laughs> I guess when you have a lot of makeup, it doesn't matter, right? Like, his, yeah. I'm not going to recognize him if he shows up as a different alien type. Um, so t- let's talk about the, the death the death throes whale. Yeah, let's do it. Um, there's, there's a few things. The first for me was it really, really reminded me of the scene in Midsummer. Oh, uh-huh. when the when the ladies scream with um, Danny because she's going through so much like turmoil uh-huh. and like so much emotional because they're putting her through her paces, right? So she could become the maiden of the ball or whatever it was called. Yeah, they're they're grooming her. She catches her boyfriend cheating right because they've tricked him into it essentially i think maybe he was drugged it's been a little while since i watched it. he was drugged he was being raped but like from from what she saw he was just cheating on her that's right it was rape because he was drugged and he didn't really have a lot of control over it but what she saw was oh my boyfriend is cheating on me and he'd already been a jerk the whole time they were in sweden anyway (laughs) so anyway it reminded me of that something that a lot of women myself included found very powerful is that in that scene when she's expressing her grief she it comes out as these like primal screams and the women all gather around her and join in and it's like this very firm like sense of like primal rage that Mm -hmm. they're all expressing together and it reminded me of that and I was like I I thought that was interesting because you don't generally see the Klingons expressing a lot of emotion but this felt like it was a very big surge of emotion that they were allowed to to show. Well Worf doesn't express a lot of emotion. Klingons I think are very emotive uh oh, Worf is a very okay. yeah Worf's a very repressed person i mean there's in in deep space nine there's a conversation where Worf tells somebody he's like a klingons do not laugh and they, they reply i've heard a klingon uh give a belly laugh that would shake the paint off the bulkheads no Worf, you don't laugh so he thinks that his personality is is applicable to all klingons right yeah. like i said he's, he's a weeaboo <laughs> he doesn't he he's an outsider to klingon culture so he has this ideal of what it means to be a klingon that is unattainable mm-hmm. and unrealistic. I like it because it's almost a little bit uh, Spock-like, right? A little bit, even in this episode, because he is having the conversation about how the real control comes inside and he has to control the emotions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it causes that kind of same conflict where Spock never got to tell his mom that he loved her, for example, mm-hmm. because of being that. So I wonder if they were trying to reference back to that type of thing. The first time that he howls, I thought that Worf wasn't showing 
any emotion on his face and it looked really fake. And I thought maybe that was because of um, not knowing this particular Klingon, right? Yeah, I'm sure it was. He didn't have a connection to him. But but then I think it's the makeup when I watched him do it the second time because he can't like scrunch his forehead together or anything that would make your face look like you were in anguish anguish right it's not an anguished cry though i mean the the reason they do it is to warn uh the the uh the dead that a klingon warrior is about to arrive which is just a cool piece of folklore like it's so i love it so so much yeah yeah like it's just cool writing on the part of like giving the klingons is that from this episode or did it exist before like from from this episode Okay. It's from this episode. Uh, yeah, uh, there's very little building up of Klingon culture before The Next Generation. Okay. Because um, all I remember is the movies, and I don't remember them very well <laughs> for mm-hmm. having Klingons. Um, so then they... Okay, so let's back up to the Jordy Visor thing, though, because yeah. that was so weird. It was Picard just kind of geeking out over like, oh, this is how you see people. And he's like, of course, an android has that aura. He's an android. And I was like, why are you saying of course? Well, Jordy's only context for seeing is what he sees. And it's not something he has general conversation with. So, of course, yeah, yeah. Data's an android. He's got an aura. (laughs) I thought it was interesting because I was like, because I would think that being an android, he wouldn't have an aura, right? Because he'd be a piece of equipment. So I thought that was interesting. I I Um, assume it's something, some uh, like uh, electrical signal coming through, coming off of him or something. Coming off of him that looks like an aura. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I really thought my notes say apparently this is a Jordy episode, which is funny because the next episode is a Jordy episode, but it turned out it was just not really a Jordy episode. <laughs> nope, this was just uh, they, they they just wanted to show off, uh, sh- show us uh, what uh, what Jordy sees. And this isn't the last time we see somebody patch into Jordy's visor. Actually, they use it in Star Trek Generations, but okay. in that case, it's basically just a video feed. Like it just looks, his vision just looks normal in that one. So I guess they decided it it didn't look good enough for a movie. It was kind of bad looking. It looked like, you know, when you're watching. Well, I don't know if you watch them. Sometimes I give in and I watch ghost hunting shows. Um, (laughs) And uh, so it's kind of like in the ghost hunting shows when they use the forward projection, like infrared lights or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're watching it and they're like, look at that over there. It's a ghost. (laughs) You're like, It's not a ghost. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. It was just heavily distorted um, uh, video that they had shot. And, just you know, interesting. I thought it was interesting because it was it took a whole like five minutes away from the episode. <laughs> also, like when Picard's like, what is that? What is that? And I'm like, it's Riker. And he's like, but what is it? He's like, oh, yeah, that's Riker. Well, it just looks like a form. And I'm looking I'm like, no, it looks like Riker, but just with bad editing on top of him. What are you yeah, talking about? I know. It's he obviously is, a person. It's Commander Riker. <laughs> I was like, guys, like, it's so obvious who it is. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was it, weird. It was in the shape of a person. Even if you couldn't make out the facial details, Picard should have said, who is that? Not what is that? He should right. have recognized, oh, it's either it's either Riker or, or Data. Who is it? It's a human being. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so do you know what the age of inclusion is? Or is that just a term? No idea. Use? Okay. No idea. <laughs> I also don't know if the Klingon spoken in this episode was accurate or not. There is an actually developed Klingon language uh, with mm-hmm. speakers and everything, um, but I think for a lot of uh, Klingon used on screen on like uh, the TV shows, it really depends on whether the writer wanted to go through the effort of actually doing it. Sometimes it is just like written as phonetic sounds in, in the script that doesn't actually mean anything. But mm. I do know in like the movies, especially uh, uh, Star Trek VI, and uh, and in Star Trek Discovery, they make sure that they're actually speaking correct Klingon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I knew it was a language because it's one of those things you hear, right? Yeah. Like being geek, you're out in the world and people are like, oh, I know how to speak Klingon. You can learn the entire language of Klingon. I think it might even be on Duolingo. Yeah, it, they recently added it to Duolingo a couple years ago. And I tried it for like five minutes and I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a Star Trek nerd, but I, I, uh, I'm, I'm going to draw the line at trying to learn the language. I, 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 I'm good with my English, Spanish, and Russian. I'll just stick with those. I don't think you watch The Office, but there's a there's an episode where in the very last season where 
Pete, who they brought in for the last season to basically be the new Jim because Jim had gotten too old to be the, you know, young romantic lead dude. Right. And he's trying to teach Aaron a language and he teaches her Dothraki. <laughs> and I thought nice. I, I've, I've told people a million times if that if that episode had been made at the beginning of the series, it 100 percent would have been Klingon. 100 uh-huh. <laughs> percent. And so I just think it's interesting that there's this whole entire language out there and everybody talks about how Tolkien created elvish but people don't really talk did did the writers create klingon or was it a fan created thing that they created an actual language that was speakable actually i think the first person credited with uh developing klingon as a language is james Dewan. scotty scotty yeah because in the first star trek movie when the klingons encounter v'ger james Dewan actually dubs over the uh the actors with an alien language because i think they were just saying the lines in english but then James um, Dewan would just make sounds that match like the lip mo- uh, movements, but sounded like an alien language. So he oh. was the first because that was the first time we had seen Klingons not speaking English in the in the original series. They would just always speak English. Interesting. Okay, here we are. The Klingon language, as spoken, was originally developed by UCLA dialectician uh, Hartmut Scharf, James Dewan, and John Povill for Star Trek: The Motion Picture. And the Klingon language is expanded for Star Trek Three by Mark Orkrand. Other people have developed it over the years. But it started in-house in Star Trek, it sounds like, yeah. Well, I, I mean, obviously, it's, it, it, Klingons are I just Star wondered, Trek. Because so. you know how fans are. I didn't know if sure. the fans took the, la- like, they, they had made some random noises and they were like, I'm going to turn this into an entire language and then and then retroactively Star Trek, you know, right. took it. Because I can see, like, lots of that stuff happens. That's why I was wondering. There's, there's probably some some uh, uh, Klingon uh, words that have been developed just by the fan community that have been adopted in because it's, yeah. you know, th- there is a community of speakers and the language as on screen is pretty limited. They don't have a full vocabulary for everything. So a lot of things had to be, you know, created on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they get these Klingons and the first off, they they throw around a bunch of names, the Romulans, the Talarians, because I think that's what the ship ended up being was a Talarian ship, right? Yeah, um, I thought it looked like, I, I don't know if it was a Talarian ship or a dick ship, though. Like that thing looked like a looked like a peen. <laughs> now that you mention it, <laughs> it's the opposite of Arthur C. Clarke's two thousand one head 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 shaped spaceships that he loves. <laughs> Actually, no, wait. In two thousand one, Discovery one looks like a penis too. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I'm over here holding my head in my hands, and I'm like, yeah, it sure did look like a penis. Now that you mention it. <laughs> Um, and so they get them over and they lie, right? And it's obvious they're lying. It's obvious to all of us that they're lying. Of course. Um, and I liked that they're like, oh, you haven't even seen battle. And he's like, yeah, I've seen battle warfed us. And I'm like, yeah, you fought those chipmunk Ferengis with their dryer tubes. You tell them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's seen battle before he served on the Enterprise as oh, well. Oh, I'm sure. I just thought. Especially like because they... Uh, they foreshadowed the dryer tubes when they were walking around the ship. There was like dryer tubes hanging from the ceiling. And I was like, ah, the Ferengi have been here. (laughs) (laughs) Turned out they had not been there. It was all a lie. It's so funny in this first season, how anytime something bad is happening, like their first instinct is, is it the Ferengi? They really wanted to make the Ferengi the, the big villains of TNG. They're trying so hard to make me afraid of them, but they're hard. It's so hard to be afraid of them. Yeah, they're 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 little dudes with butt heads. Like I'm not afraid. <laughs> it's true, um, but I I thought it was interesting how they did just try to throw the Ferengi under the bus for it because there it, it felt like I don't know like oh let's blame these people of color for this thing that one person <laughs> in that culture did or whatever and then they get on the on the Enterprise and everybody's profiling them. <laughs> Like, what is going on here? Because at this point, they seem to be pretty friendly with the Klingons, right? Yeah, they're... As the Federation. We, we've got one on our ship, for crying out loud. They've had peace for like 80 years at this point. Yeah, it, it's weird that they'd still be so hesitant toward the Klingons. And rude. Tasha was even kind of rude. I mean, it turned out they were lying, but she was still kind of rude. Well, she assumes that that he was taking the little girl hostage, which, like, I think that was a reasonable assumption when they all show up to arrest him and he immediately picks up a little girl. Like, I would have assumed that myself. It was weird that he picked her up because at first I was like, why is she assuming that he's taking her hostage? And I was like, oh, because he picked her up. Like, if a little kid runs up to you and it's not your little kid, you don't generally pick him up, you know? Uh Uh-huh. 
so they come down and they're going to erase, they're going to erase them. They're going to um, arrest them, right? Mm-hmm. To give them back to the, and the whole thing here is that they're trying to stop the Klingons from this 80 year peace because it goes against their, their like culture. Yeah. They're like, no, we need to fight. Like, I'm pretty sure the Klingons have other enemies than the Federation. Like at some point, like I'm pretty sure you could find a fight if you want one. Of course they did find a fight. That was kind yeah. of the point. But they even, like, they, they even, when, like, they destroyed the Klingon ship that came for them before the episode started, like... Oh, they did, that's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was weird was how distrustful everyone became of Worf. I know. I thought that was really weird, too. Like, um, he's, a, he's a Starfleet officer. He's your comrade. He's your shipmate why are you casting doubt just because there's there's klingons like it's so weird it would be like if you've got like a a black co-worker and then like somebody is black is like robbing the store and you're like are you gonna side with the robber like no right. why, why, why would you think that that's racist <laughs> i know that's what it felt like and, and my notes even say is everyone being racist and underneath it says are they profiling wharf now like i was like irritated because he's worked with them he's been there since the beginning of the show at least i don't know how uh-huh. long they had been together as a crew i can't remember like a year at this point yeah and so like i don't know it felt weird to me like i i was thinking about it from the perspective of being a human woman and how like if it was a, a ship full of men and i was the only woman and then women came aboard our ship and did something wrong would i immediately be suspected of like being with them because we're we're the same gender yeah, I don't think so. So it's just weird. In the in the situation that you laid out, a ship full of entirely men and you're the only woman suggests that it's a, a rather patriarchal society. True. So they probably would suspect you. <laughs> okay, okay. Maybe a little bit. And I might side with the lim- women, maybe a little bit. <laughs> I did like the line, what burns in their eyes fuels my soul. I thought that was a good line. Oh, I love, like, Klingons are like, they've, they've got, like, some of the most uh, poetic hearts. They're, I mean, their poetry is all about, you know, like, murder and everything, but... It's it's, you know, they've got panache with it. <laughs> oh, where was Deanna? Where was she? I uh, wanted she to know her episode. take on the Klingons. Yeah, and she just wasn't even there. I was, for once, I wanted to hear what Deanna was going to tell us that was very obvious <laughs> that she wasn't there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is stupid. I want to know what she thinks. Because if, if she had been there, she might have figured out the deception earlier, yeah. is, is my point. Which is probably why she wasn't there. <laughs> yeah. We didn't get to talk about uh, one of my favorite lines because I forgot and skipped over it. But when they're geeking out or well, when Picard is geeking out over um, Jordy's visor, I loved the uh, I hate to break this up. (laughs) 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 I just thought that was such a great line. It's so funny. I hate to break up this moment of you guys geeking out over Jordy's visor, but we have stuff to do, guys. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, Memory Alpha has nothing about why Marina Sirtis wasn't in this episode. Uh, Will Wheaton also wasn't in this episode, but uh, he's not in a this lot of the This one or the next one. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah. Well, he, he, he had a film career still. He was, he was doing other true. jobs at the same time. How do random people get into engineering? Are doors not keycard locked? Or, like, why don't we believe in locks on the Enterprise? <laughs> yeah, um... Security, especially in this episode, I don't know what security is doing. Like, okay, we've got to arrest these two Klingons. Let's uh, just throw them in the cell without patting them down. Oh yeah, let's let them keep their entire armor. Yeah, <laughs> so they like, can build. They can build a you know put me together gun. <laughs> yeah, like, like sure, surely you'd be able to recognize even even if it's all taken apart. It's like, uh, no, that is definitely. Uh, the the rifling for a Klingon disruptor. I'm going to take that from you because I don't want you to put <laughs> one together. They have to be caught together because if I I was watching and I think they had to take parts off of both outfits to complete the gun. So if they're taken hostage together, <laughs> they have to. I mean, if they're taken hostage apart, they have no way of getting out. <laughs> I don't know. It was weird that they just threw them in that room. I do like the idea of having your gun disassembled and just hidden in pieces of your armor, though. The, like that, that, that is a, sight. Yeah. Yeah. Th- that, that is a cool way to do it. Traitors of Kling. I, 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 I guess I had never really realized that Klingons came from Kling. Well, here's the thing. They don't. Oh, <laughs> the Klingon homeworld is named Kronos. Yeah, okay, that sounds familiar. But that wasn't established yet. They they oh. didn't they don't come up with the the name for the planet until Star Trek Six, and 
I think the idea was Kling would be the name of the homeworld in the dialogue here, but then they realized that sounds stupid, so it they didn't go so with it. Stupid! It sounds like cling wrap. It sounds like so like we're watching a Saran wrap episode. I don't, Klingon actually does too. Now that I'm saying this out loud, but um, yeah, Traders of Kling. I was like, oh, that's a new one. I have not heard the term cling before. I, I think you could probably just uh, rationalize it as like maybe cling is like a city on Kronos, like like oh, a big that's cultural a good, center that's or something good. like that. Yeah, like wipe away the the plot hole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, another line I really liked. I have tasted your heart. I thought that was a good line. <laughs> I don't know. I like the Klingon and their like very dramatic way that they talk. Um, I so the phasers. They mm-hmm. have to set them between stun and kill. What other options are there other than stun and kill? Are there only stun and kill? I think there are 16 settings. Oh, I wasn't expecting that many. <laughs> but yeah, generally, you know, like maximum would be kill and minimum would be... Uh, there There might be like multiple stun settings, like a low stun might not even right. like knock somebody out that might just push them or something. So at what point during his heart to heart did Worf decide that he was going to kill that man? Because he had his phaser was obviously set to kill, right? Mm-hmm. So at what point did he like, was he running it around with it on kill? Because they always announce what to put the phasers on. Um, I don't know. Uh, I just thought it was interesting because I thought he was going to stun him. I didn't think he was going to kill him. But then I realized the reason that he killed him was to give him a death in battle like Klingons want, like going to Valhalla or whatever, right? They want to die in battle, so... Yeah, if they handed him over to to the Klingon cruiser, he would have just been executed without honor. Worf gave him a death in battle, which ensures uh, his uh, soul's delivery to Stovacor. Oh, there is a place of Valhalla for Klingons. Okay. Yeah, it's called Stovacor. And I'm assuming it's based on Valhalla, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it's uh, um, there's a lot of uh, mixing of like Viking and uh, Greek mythology with the Klingon uh, afterlife mythology. Like the, the the souls that don't make it to Stovacor go to Grethor. I want to say is it's it's called, uh, okay. but they like sail on a barge uh, to uh, on the ocean of the dead to go to hell. Basically, interesting. Okay, I was a little irritated that Picard said. Chorus and the other Klingon when we had been told his name. I also don't remember it, but I am not the captain of a starship. <laughs> um, and I thought it was really rude. I was like, you know his name, Picard. <laughs> and it's it seemed very unPicard like to not use his name either. I don't Wait, know. I, I'm forgetting his name. I'm looking it up now. I know. I can't remember it either. I feel bad because it's kind of not making my point. But <laughs> it was uh, Conmel. Conmel. Yeah, that's right. Um, but yeah, when he's like, and the other Klingon, I was like, wow, that's so rude. He's a person. Picard. Also, um, I don't like the Klingon makeup in this episode. They use like basically the same mold for all of the Klingons other than mm-hmm. Worf here, uh, which has like the, the, the plus sign on the forehead. Yeah, I noticed they were similar. Like, I thought maybe that was supposed to mean they were related. Uh, usually it is. Uh, okay. You, Usually the um you'll have uh like members of a house will all have very similar forehead bumps. So yeah, it usually is a familial thing, but here it's just they're all just wearing the same mold like the Klingon captain on the uh, uh on the cruiser that wanted to take them. He had the same thing. And um I don't know, it's it, it it's a very cheap looking one. Klingon makeup gets a lot better later on once they start mixing things up i don't i mean they like like i said with the emotion they can't emote with that huge thing either it's hard like they have to do all their emoting through their eyes and their mouth and it makes it hard for them to emote um (laughs) Uh, there's uh there's a klingon character that we'll be meeting in a couple seasons here um named uh gauron and that dude has eyes. That dude can act with his <laughs> eyes. Like there, there's. I think there's a meme where he's just like him with his eyes wide, and it's captioned "Stares in Klingon." <laughs> yes, I've seen that. I didn't know what it was yeah. in reference to, but I've seen it. That's Gowron. <laughs> he he has amazing eyes. That's amazing. Um. So so uh, overall, first Klingon episode, I thought it was pretty good. I was pretty excited. I uh I liked it. Uh, before we move on to the next episode, there's one last thing that I noted. Uh on the the Klingon captain's ship is uh behind him on one side he had the uh the the Klingon Empire uh logo which is like the uh 
the triangle looking thing it's mm-hmm. like the circle with the three uh triangles sticking out in different directions but then on the other side he had the federation flag oh yeah i saw that and i figured that was just to like nod to the alliance right that's what i assumed um actually i think at this point they were thinking that the klingons had joined the federation they just weren't like enlisting in starfleet but it was just the the peace meant that they became a part of the federation Mm. Uh, I, I think they just hadn't fully established what the relationship between the Klingon Empire and the Federation was yet. Because I think even when they had Worf on the Enterprise, I think that was supposed to imply that the Klingons were now part of the Federation. Yeah, because they allowed one of their enemy races into Starfleet. I thought I thought so, too. I thought that's what I assumed by having mm-hmm. Worf there. I also didn't know he was the only one. Um, I just assumed that there was others. Well, I mean, there are others later, like uh, Bolana. Uh, Torres and Voyager, she was, uh, uh, she's Klingon, so, Mm. um, but, you know, she joins later. Okay, are we ready to move on to the next episode, The Arsenal of Freedom? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is the 21st episode of the first season. We're so close to the end of the first season already. Mm-hmm. Um, it first aired on the 11th of April, 1988. The teleplay was by Richard Manning and Hans Beemler. Story by Maurice Hurley and Robert Lewin and directed by Les Landau. So uh, this one is an interesting episode. Um, it is. It has there, three plots. <laughs> so there's a missing ship that they are, are trying to, to hunt down, the, the Drake. Yes. And its captain is a, a, was a, an Academy classmate of Rikers. And we never find out what happens to that ship. No. Like, they show up to the planet, but we never actually find out what happens to it. So it's just MIA, I guess. But the planet is... Uh, Wait, no. The ship that's missing, I thought that was what was making the weapons, but you're right. No. I th- you know how when they're in the pit at the bottom... Or uh-huh. they're, they're at the bottom of the pit, and and it turns out that there's a bunch of computers down there. In my mind, I thought that was the ship, but now I'm realizing it's not, is it? No. Oh. So, okay. uh, speaking of that planet, they scan the planet, and they don't find any life signs, and they thought it was a civilized planet. So they what said uh, no signs of unintelligent or intelligent life at least five times. I was like, okay, we yeah. get it, guys. It's going to be, you know, a computer or something, <laughs> you know? And so it, uh, Data explains this planet uh, was like, they were like arms merchants, and it turns out that they probably just uh, uh, wiped themselves out with their weapons. They're contacted by an automated uh, uh, system, which uh, uh, shows up as like the most used car salesman actor there has ever been. <laughs> Jenny Callender's uncle. Uh, yeah you've said that to me in text and i'm like i didn't remember uh in in buffy that uh i didn't remember her uncle at all i had to look that up he's the one that comes to tell her that she has to be following angel to make sure he's suffering oh okay he's the one that's like sent jenny here i'm trying not to use the racist word that they use in the show (laughs) oh right 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 um he has sent jenny calendar here to watch angel and make sure he's suffering enough because of the curse that his people put on angel for killing their favorite daughter okay i vaguely remember that a couple episodes he's just there to tell her hey do your job (laughs) but when i saw him i was like jenny's uncle (laughs) so yeah they're, they're contacted by this used car salesman jenny calendar's uncle uh, re- automated recording saying, "Hey, we want to sell you weapons." And I don't know why, but they decide, "Hi, hey, let's uh, let's beam down to this planet that where there's no life, uh, where they made a bunch of weapons <laughs> to see what yeah. happened." Was, uh, that was that, was, that a- was so stupid. I was like, "What are you guys doing?" Um, but they did it. They went down. I assumed it was a personal thing for Riker to go down. Yeah, because he was friends with uh, um, what was his name? Oh, I have it written down. Rice, Rice. Yeah, Paul Rice. Rice. Yeah. And uh, so it's uh, Riker, uh, Yar, and Data beam down, and they beam down to the Alien Planet set. Yeah, the original series Alien Planet set. Yeah, I have I have Toss series written on here somewhere, <laughs> or Toss set. <laughs> and they just threw a bunch of tropical plants in there, all ver- very obviously sitting in pots that are just hiding, like, right <laughs> below where the camera can see them. I know. <laughs> They were at least real pot plants. But the sky was obviously fake. Like, you see it, and it's just, like, this really deep shade of blue that it's like, yeah, that's that's just the soundstage back. 
<laughs> the background. <laughs> and then they trap Riker in this energy field. And then so Picard brings the him and himself, himself and Beverly down and leaves Jordy in charge of the Enterprise, which I was excited to see again. Which is great for Jordy, but that was a really dumb move for Picard to beam himself down. I don't know what oh, he was thinking. I know. Well, he needed to get trapped in the romantic adventure with Beverly, which we'll talk about when we get to that part. Uh-huh. <laughs> but um, so then Jordy takes over and really the episode ends up being about Jordy and the decisions that he makes while the Megrathia used car salesman guy is kind of ends up being the subplot in my opinion because mm-hmm. I mean there was the there to me the whole point ended up being about Jordy and what decisions he was going to make and if he was going to get the Enterprise safely home you know yeah because um one of the uh so the the um the the weapons on the planet are being like uh manufactured and they're attacking everyone and mm-hmm. so there's two of them there's one that's attacking the people on the ground and there's one that's attacking the enterprise and you know uh so uh Jordy can't every time they try and fire at like they can't find anything it's just it, it shoots at them and then disappears so eventually Jordy decides to uh do a saucer separation i was so excited to see a saucer separation <laughs> i forgot that this episode had the saucer separation when they started discussing it i'm like oh they're gonna rule it out because the, uh, they never do the saucer separation on the show and uh <laughs> they did it and uh then uh um, actually, Jordy had a really cool way of finding the enemy ship because he ends up like uh, taking the ship into the atmosphere and, you know, t- to where like the-, the atmosphere is like heating up around the ship and creating mm-hmm. that like flame trail. And the other and the the uh, the weapon probe also follows it into the atmosphere. And that's how they're able to find it, because it's also got that that uh, that the trail. Heat trail. Yeah, I thought it was a great I I mean, do we want to start with the Jordy stuff because it comes yeah. towards the episode? OK, so I thought it was great. And I really, really liked the way that when that guy came up and was like huffing and puffing at him about how he should take over, Jordy mm-hmm. stood up for himself. And then you think he's going to give in when he calls the guy back and he's like, you think he's going to be like, OK, I can't handle it. I'm going to give the ship over to this other guy. Um, and it turns out that he's just going to separate the ship do this big thing they never do and then he's going to go back for his people and i thought it was such a great episode for jordy did did you notice how we have a new chief engineer again yeah i um my notes say i miss argyle (laughs) (laughs) so yes i did notice (laughs) i don't even think this guy is the last chief engineer before jordy takes over i think there's going to be like one more because i was looking at the list of uh, a chief engineers of, of the enterprise on, on memory alpha. And there's like one more name before Jordy's. <laughs> okay. So remember how we were talking, I think it was last episode about um, how people step in and take over. Like when Jordy's put in charge and there's always just someone waiting in the wings to take over. Yeah. So I noticed this episode cause I kept an eye on it that as soon as Picard said, uh, Jordy take the helm or whatever. Um, yeah he solace who ends up being with Jordy for the rest of the episode comes out of the turbo lift within 10 seconds and walks over to his seat. Yeah. I caught that too. Yeah. And so they, maybe it's like part of their, maybe the computer is like, okay, this person's been moved to this. And then the computer tells the people time to move up because there's gotta be an automated system so that this can happen fast, like during battle or whatever. Right. Where Picard can be like, hey, take over the helm. And they would need somebody else to take up. So maybe the computer just tracks who it is and alerts the new person that they need to come and take their spot. Because I noticed that with this episode this time is that he came right out of the turbo lift as soon as he moved. Well, um, it could be that. I also know that um, Riker's job is uh, um, like a part of Riker's job is like shift assignments. Um as the XO, he handles a lot of just like the nitty gritty of, of, mm-hmm. of ship operations. And so he's usually running shifts. But um, so there, there may just be a standby bridge crew that just hangs out in like a, a standby area, like on deck two, maybe. And then they just uh, it's like, oh, they need me. And they just pop yeah, up that. Like they just wait. <laughs> yep. um, did you notice that the the weapon that they they take the moss off of and it's perfectly clean underneath the moss? Looked exactly like a giant Doctor Who sonic screwdriver. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I didn't notice that, but I was like, you know, for something that has like uh, plant overgrowth, that plant overgrowth sure just brushes off like it had been put sure on it does. five minutes before. <laughs> I know. Uh, so, Sue, 
she had a lot of lines. I thought she was going to be more important because of how many lines she had. So is she going to end up being a reoccurring character or did she just end up having a lot of lines in this episode? She just She's just in this episode and she was there to, you know, give Jordy some casts to interact with, I assume. Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was interesting how many lines she had. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, what about the good ship lollipop comments? Oh, that was great. It was so good. I was like, and it was so like relevant to 1988 too, because like you, <laughs> we were still seeing those Shirley Temple like, oh yeah, oh, I remember Shirley Temple collection, like commercials at, at night and stuff. And I remember the good ship lollipop and her tap dancing across my screen when I was sick as a kid in that era <laughs> all the time. <laughs> the weapon generates an image of Paul Rice that right. it, it uses to try and gather information from Riker and Riker like immediately susses out. He's like, oh, this isn't actually, this isn't actually Rice. This is a... And he uses, yeah, he's like, oh yeah, I'm on a new ship now, the lollipop. And I was like, the lollipop. And then I figured it out when he said, it's a real good ship. I was like, oh, <laughs> I want to go have some words with the writers <laughs> I, I also like how Riker is like trying to trip up the program and it's like what's the armament of the sh- of the lollipop and then Riker goes 10 I know. 10, ten, like, ten what? what six <laughs> uh, my notes say in all in capital letters unintelligent life I'm shocked I tell you <laughs> because they set it up so much like okay we get it it's gonna be un like Un, they don't mean unintelligent life because obviously the computer is intelligent. They just mean it's not life, you know. But my brain was like, oh, look, unintelligent life. Oh, I thought so. They put Riker in that thing, the bubble, you yeah. know, and they're trying to describe it to Picard. And he's and they're like, it's some kind of energy field. And my brain was like, remember when you taught Paul Atreides? <laughs> like, it's just <laughs> like that, except for he can't move. Well, also, you can easily see into it the the uh the shield effects in the uh original dune movie were they're so, um, bad. They're so bad like i get what they were going for but you so couldn't bad. see you couldn't see what was going on it was like uh two roblox characters fighting or something it was like two roblox characters fighting yeah that was really dumb that as soon as riker's in a bubble picard's like oh well i'm going down too yeah. <laughs> No, this is what they taught me in Starfleet. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and, and um, Deanna is even like, "What are you, are you insane? You can't go." And he's just like, "Yeah, I've, your your objection is noted. I'm going down." And of course, he goes down with uh, uh, Beverly so that they can set up them falling down a hole and to uh, have fun, romantic Jean Luc and Beverly adventures in in the underground. I know that's right. <laughs> uh, how about? When De- when Beverly falls down that hole, like and takes act- Jean Luc with her on purpose. <laughs> the way that Gates acts that falling, it was just so bad. The the, the going forward so and going bad. back, and it was just like oh, ooh, and then they're grabbing him as she goes too, because all of it was just awkward and terrible. But <laughs> I was just like, this is so weird. Also, I want to know how how was Picard just totally fine? I know he was one hundred percent okay. <laughs> when 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 they find them down the hole, like Data scans the the hole, and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's eleven point seven five meters down." I'm like, "That's that's like thirty forty feet." Uh huh. That's a Riker, long fall. Yeah, because they're like, "Well, we can't get down there," and I'm like, "Well, then how come Picard is it?" Well, I guess he used uh, Bevis's pillow, but <laughs> <laughs> well, and they were, and, and even they were like, "Data, I don't even know that you can survive that fall," and I'm like, "Well, Picard was fine." I, uh, I mean, obviously, obviously, Beverly wasn't. She got messed way the hell up there. Uh, she was losing a lot of blood that they had covered over with sand so that, you know, it was still fine for TV. But <laughs> right. Yeah, it was so weird that he I mean, I know she's the doctor, but John Luke is not an idiot. He doesn't spell knife with an N. <laughs> and <laughs> he doesn't even think to check her legs that are covered in the sand. <laughs> like and she's like, oh, there's another injury. She also, as a doctor, doesn't bother to tell him right away there's another in- injury she's losing a lot of blood from. She's concussed and losing blood. So Right. She is. And she's in shock. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was so mad he ripped her favorite blue jacket. I was like, but that's her favorite blue jacket. <laughs> she can replicate another one. I'm it's sure fine. the replicator can make another one. Also, he ripped that really easily. Like, he every sure time. Have you tried to rip polyester lately? <laughs> every time in fiction... Like 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 in a movie or a TV show, when somebody rips clothing, it's always so easy. Like I'm thinking to like in um, the Sound of Music when Captain Von Trapp rips the Nazi flag in half. Oh, 
and a flag in particular is really hard. <laughs> yeah, have you tried that? Like, no, you had the like they had to pre-cut that thing in, in the prop department, or like specifically design that seam to be easy to rip. Like that they don't well, just flags tear don't like have that. seams in the middle of them, but it is yeah. like it rips right down the seam. Yeah, I know. Um, no, yeah, I know what you mean. And then when he tore it, it just tore right off. But I was like, <gasps> her sh- not her jacket, not her doctor jacket. <laughs> I love her doctor jacket. I know. Um, I liked the, oh, I have a concussion. You're going to have to keep me awake all night long. <laughs> <laughs> it was so Marla Singer from Fight Club <laughs> when she has the game, or when she takes the pills or whatever. When, when she said that she needed to keep her legs elevated and needed to keep warm, my first thought was, <laughs> Picard, go cuddle with her. We all thought it. All My husband was like, oh, are they going to cuddle? We, we were all like, okay, now you got to keep each other warm. And even in a completely platonic like uh, situation, that would still make sense. And she would be like, "Yes, I, I need your, I need your body heat to to stay warm." And instead, he paced the corners of the room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know it was weird. Um, so let's see. So they're fighting the doomsday monster that can change its it adapts every time they fight it right um but they so one the first time one phaser takes it out the second time two takes it out and the third time three takes it out right right it was weird (laughs) it it didn't seem like it was that efficient of a weapon if you know like there's just like three of them on the surface and they're you know, they're still alive after like the third attempt. I I, I kind of feel like they would have had some baseline programming to be a, a more efficient killing machine than that. I know they were. I did not think. I think that part of the plot was really badly done. When uh, Picard activates the uh, the um, the used car salesman and then agrees to the sale to get the the uh, the thing. How much to shut did off? he just cost the Federation? <laughs> well, nothing because the the program was just like, oh, I've got a sale, and then shuts off the demonstration. He didn't actually sell him anything, uh, but it, it immediately shuts off the one on the surface. But the one attacking the Enterprise is still going. That's what was weird, right? Yeah, because he's like, "Oh, I made a sale, great!" And then, but Jordy still has to do his thing. You know, and I mean, from a story perspective, I understand why they had Jordy do that thing to figure it out instead of it just vanishing and then taking away like his personal character's victory. Um, but it would seem like it would have been easy enough to just swap those scenes so the Jordy yeah. defeats his first before Picard uh, gets the, uh, the 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 system shut off. Yeah, and I don't know why they did it that way. I'm I'm wondering if it was just a just uh, bad editing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. They wanted to have Jordy's scene probably be the last like pen like the last scene before we had the like oh it's over scene. So maybe yeah. that's what it is. Also, a shot in the dark is better than nothing. Is a terrible strategy. <laughs> Just shooting randomly into the dark is not better than not shooting. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um. Did oh, I have in my notes. Did he call Logan down here just to show off? Because I didn't realize he was going to give him the saucer. <laughs> so he calls him down and he like starts giving all these orders and stuff. Well, I also <laughs> thought that was a little weird because engineering is on the uh, the star drive section, not the saucer section. And I was thinking, well, he's chief engineer. Shouldn't he be with the the, the engine room? But then I realized, oh, they they'll have another chief engineer. Okay, <laughs> so as far as the chain of command goes, though, it goes. This is how it seems to go. It goes Picard, and then Riker, and then Data, Data. and then Jordy. It seems like it's that way in the first season. I think in season two, Jordy's only got one and a half pips. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think part of that is just uh, Jordy's a bridge officer. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, Logan is not. Logan is the um, the engineering officer. So I, I think probably there's just a, a certain level of if you are if you're a bridge officer, there are certain you know like in, in a pinch you can take command because you're already there. I'm trying to understand the the chain of command. So I'm not a military person. I've never been in the military, um, mm-hmm. and I don't know a lot about the Star Trek military. But how? So that guy comes down and says, "I'm higher ranking than you." Give me control of the bridge. Shouldn't Jordy have to do it? Um, I don't. I don't know myself how it was. I, I, I think was it's confused by that. Yeah, I think it's because <laughs> Captain, Captain Picard, Picard had given the order, right? And Picard is still captain of the Enterprise, so it's his standing orders. So, like, if an admiral had come by and done it, then that probably would have overrided it. But a, a lieutenant can't override a captain's order. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, random question: Do you know if the Federation uses Celsius or Fahrenheit because they were they kept yelling out temperatures? 
Uh, I think I'm pretty sure they use Celsius. Yeah, they, they, I'm pretty sure they're all metric units in in the future. So I definitely think that the used salesman guy is definitely a reference to Magrathea from Hitchhiker's Guide. Um, because when they approach Magrathea in Hitchhiker's Guide, there's an automated video recording of salespeople trying to sell them things, a new planet. And that's when the improbability drives and turns them into like the falling whale and the pot of petunias that everybody knows about. Um, mm-hmm. But right before that, they've approached Magrathea and they get a hologram, basically like a video feed that says, welcome to Magrathea, where you can all your planetary needs. It really reminded me of that. It felt like a deliberate reference. Also, there was a point, I think, during Jordy's like big scene that they said Mark 007. And I felt like that had to be a 007 reference. But maybe I was, just, I mean, because why would they use 007 if not? That probably like, was a del- yeah. yeah. I mean, it, there, there's always a bunch of just like little references here and it's there. It's like, cute because it's, it's cute to pick up on. Yeah, I like seeing that kind of stuff, you know. There's also a recurring number in Star Trek. and I haven't paid attention this season to see if it's started yet. But uh, whenever they need a random number uh, in a show, they will very often pick the number 47. Do we know why? Um, there's no official explanation, though. I think uh, Brandon Braga, who's one of the executive producers of Star Trek, I, th- I think he had said in an interview that it was uh, 42 adjusted for inflation. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. Um, but that may, yeah, that's a good joke, even if it's not true. Um, yeah. I think it's great. Um, so uh, so in last episode, we found out that Worf has a tragic backstory. This episode, we find out that Bev has a tragic backstory. I was like, oh, wow, all these things I don't know. Um, that she was on a colonist planet. Was it Arvada? Is that what it was? Arvada 3? Um, but like her grandma, I think she said was the person who helped colonize it. And he was like, Oh, I didn't know you grew up there. It was a terrible thing that happened there. And we don't get to actually find out what happens. He's just referencing some terrible backstory of Bev's that we're going to get to learn eventually. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we do find out, uh, a little more about, uh, the, the grandma that, uh, Beverly mentions in uh, a future, Mm -hmm. future season episode. And, um, uh, it's an interesting episode. I'm, I'm, I'm very, very, I think it's in season seven. Um, Oof, that's a ways away, yeah. But it's um, it's a wild one. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> okay, so do they usually fire the phasers and the photons, or was that extra? I think that was extra. They wanted a full spread of weapons. Just yeah, I thought that was interesting. So that they could catch it. Because, yeah, the, the photons, they, they sent a spread of like five or six of them. Okay, so this, is, this episode was directed by Les Landau, but he's the one that took over the super racist Wakanda episode, right? Away from the super racist guy? Oh, yeah. Okay, so he took over for Russ Mayberry on Code of Honor. And so this is his first episode that's like his full credited episode. And I looked and he has a huge list. Uh, Yeah, it looks like he's got 34 TNG credits. Including uh, one that looks like with Deanna's mom. Because <laughs> that looks like Deanna's mom. I can't think of her name right now in the uh, in his memory alpha's picture. But yeah, I was excited to see him. Like and and because I was looking at, it, I was like, I know that name from somewhere, and not just because it's Landau. I looked up to see if he was related to Martin Landau and Juliet Landau, but I can't find any relation. But I was excited to see that he is here and directing more. So I looked up and saw that he does a bunch more. And I mean, I liked this episode, although it did have three separate plots and not a single one involving Wesley. And that's like a crime. (laughs) Yeah. Also the, um, uh, I guess the original storyline they had intended for a more overt romantic story between Picard and Beverly. Like I think the original plan was actually Picard would be the one injured and uh, Beverly would confess her feelings to him while mm. taking care of him. And then they they swapped it so that it was Picard taking care of her. But I think uh, I think it was actually Gene Roddenberry who didn't want the uh, the romance to be part of it. Um, I, I think uh, particularly in the first season, Gene Roddenberry was kind of uh, against any kind of like uh, long long running character arcs. Because mm-hmm. I, I think he was still thinking of it in terms of like the the the, the original series where mm-hmm. everything was very standalone. So I don't know why he would uh, protest it here when they have been like setting up the the romance between them in other episodes. Yeah, I know. To me, it seems very obvious. I'm not one of the. I'm not usually someone that ships people. Um, mm-hmm. I, it's not really. I'm like. 
whatever happens, whatever the writers do. But I, I really do want to see I mean, that okay. and Picard get together. Well, we're not going to talk about Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was just going to gonna, bring up. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, Raylo. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so I was very much for after The Last Jedi, I wanted to see Ray and Ben get together and redeem Ben. and But they ended it so terribly that I just kind of... <laughs> forgot about Raylo because they ruined my love of the I wanted to see Han Solo and Leia Organa's child come and be redeemed and realize all the bad things he's done redeem himself become a better person and like fix the galaxy not die sorry spoilers what 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 were you talking about he put on the boyfriend sweater he did put on the boyfriend sweater I actually have a pop figure of him in the boyfriend Anyway, yes. So Raylo, I did get a little crazy about Raylo, mostly because I wanted to see that kid redeemed so bad. <laughs> so that's my only other ship of my life, really, is that one. And so and I don't even know if I call it a ship. I just want to see them together. They seem so good for each other. <laughs> I don't know. I like them. They're two of my favorite characters. I mean, everybody likes Picard, though, right? There's nobody walking yeah. around going, oh, I hate Picard. I if if I meet somebody like that, I'm just gonna automatically distrust them. <laughs> anyway, I loved both these episodes for Jordy. I loved both of them because we got to see through his visor and we got to see him put on his big boy pants and do a good job. Like I thought that was really cool to see him. We got character development on Worf. I mean, yes, Wesley was missing, but I loved both these episodes because it felt like we were really starting to develop the crew. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. And so it really made me like, oh, excited for like, okay, we're at the end of season one. They're finally getting their like feet under them. Clearly the writer's room was like, we have to start fleshing out these characters because they gave two characters. I've been disappointed. Haven't had enough screen time, screen time mm-hmm. and plots and development and everything. And I was really excited about that. And it's the two black actors. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of it that way. Um, but yeah, it's true. It's both um, black actors getting two episodes too is really good. Oh, the last thing that I'll say before we end up in this episode is the the monsters, not the monsters. What were they? They were alien robots, I guess. Yeah, they were alien robots, robots. Um, looked like uh, Battlestar Galactica, the fracking toasters. I kept waiting for somebody the to say toasters. Cylons, that's what it was. They had the little visor thing, like the kit. Like uh-huh. thing. Oh and yeah, like, yeah, it did scan back and forth like that. Yeah, yeah, it did. And I was like, oh, <laughs> fracking toasters, and nobody ever said it, of course, but I did. <laughs> well, but I, Battlestar Galactica existed at that point, but frack as a uh, uh, as a BSG thing didn't come around until the uh, the the two thousand series. But toasters so. did, right? They I called them toasters was. in the original one. I think that's why, because I remember when I, I had never, I had only seen a couple episodes of the original Battlestar. And then I w- watched the new one. And as everybody was, I was all into it because it's really good. <laughs> and um, I remember asking people, why do they call them toasters? And I'm pretty sure it's a reference to something from the old one. But. Well, the original Cylon uh, uh, costume from the original show did kind of look like they were had a toaster on their heads. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was this is such a tangent, but I think it was so smart that they used Cylons to look like people because it made it so much more relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I the whole time I was like, oh, they look like Cylons, <laughs> and I thought that was cute. I'm excited to finish season one and see where season two goes because I have a feeling that season two is where. Well, you've told me it because of the beard, right? Season two is where the beard comes in. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing the because the development that's been happening in these last few episodes is really making me enjoy the show more because now I'm getting to know each and every character. Yeah, and um, I don't know if we've talked about this, um, but one of the edicts that Roddenberry had in the writers' room for the, like the first couple seasons is that he didn't want the crew to have conflicts with each other interesting because in this future humanity has worked out all of their all their issues so they don't fight with each other anymore so the conflicts should come from without the ship and not within but the writers hated it because when you tell them that their characters can't have conflicts with each other that's like huge like uh uh arm tied behind your back while you're writing like that's that's what story is with each other i mean that's what made like I mean, I work in an office at a school and inside of my office, there's six of us and I don't get along with every single person and we have mm-hmm. conflicts. And that's what, you know, that if you were going to write a movie or a show about my work, the conflicts between us and between other people within the school and stuff would be the main driving like 
yeah. force plot. And so without having any sort of conflict or romantic, like going between different um, crew members, you're going to lose a humanity because humans have conflict and humans have romantic feelings for the most part. You know, and conflict isn't necessarily a bad thing. There's, you know, there's good conflict helps conflict. us grow. Like yeah. you, if you never have to fight something that's hard and figure out and decide how you're going to navigate it, you're never going to grow as a person. So it's weird. It's a weird edict, you know, yeah. and conflict doesn't have to be I'm right. You're wrong. We can never come see eye to eye. Conflict can be I'm right. You're you think you're right. Let's figure out who's right. Conflict you know? can be. Uh, a dialectical uh, thesis and antithesis uh, uh, reaching synthesis. That's mm-hmm. what it should be. Yeah, and I, I, and you see some of that. Like, well, in this episode, when the uh, the chief engineer came up and was uh, was questioning Jordy, that was conflict, and that made Jordy have to grow and make the decisions, and it develops a character. So, as as a person who's a writer myself, I would be like, I would feel completely hamstrung to have conflict taken away as a human experience for writing. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> conflict is where a lot of drama and interest comes from. As uh, as as Jean's health worsened and other people took over the writer's room, they, they pretty much got rid of that edict, which I think uh, was a good thing for the show and really helped the characters grow. So looking forward to that. Okay, and thanks for joining us today. I'm Ari. And I'm Gayfesh. And until next time... Live long and prosper. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at RestBothWorlds. Join our Patreon at patreon.com slash worlds for bonus content and hear your name at the end of each episode.